I am Bo Ellis Breedlove, and this is the June Bug. Last week on the June Bug, Caroline and Vincent lost their beloved son, William. The shock of the loss dissolved Caroline's faith in the church and unsettled her belief in the existence of a god. Subsequently, Caroline lost her desire to combat the growing onslaught of symptoms from her dementia. Throughout this, Vincent faithfully attended his wife's pain and strife. This week, Caroline loses more than she thought possible, and Vincent fails to keep a promise. Details in the story, such as names and places, have been altered or fictionalized to preserve privacy. Episode 6 Wreckage Caroline hurriedly gathered her belongings from the countertop while summoning Vincent to the kitchen. The phone call had been urgent. Josette needed her grandmother immediately. Well, not so much her grandmother as her grandmother's checkbook. As Vincent entered the kitchen, he found Caroline quickly writing out a check for cash. Why don't you just use your card? He queried. I don't have my card. I gave it to Josette. Not wanting to upset his wife already anxious, Vincent didn't take the line of questioning further. We need to go. I have to stop at the bank on the way, Caroline instructed. Opening the door to leave, the duo was greeted by a delivery man with a bouquet of white roses and stargazer lilies. Caroline scoffed at the delivery, but decided to take the bouquet to Josette instead of gracing her dining table with the fresh cuts. There was still another bouquet that would last at least a week. This type of delivery was a routine gesture from their grandson, Philip. The bank teller took Caroline's check. The amount, though, was significant and would need a manager's approval. Upon review, the bank manager found there were insufficient funds. A check to cash for $9,300 just wasn't feasible. Caroline flushed with embarrassment as she asked, Well, how much is there? $4,000, Mrs. Aubrey. I don't understand. That account had my son's life insurance money in it. There was well over $100,000. It looks like it's all been withdrawn from ATM transactions the past few months. Caroline shuddered. I... Uh, I must have forgotten. Just, just the balance in cash, then. This 
was an urgent cause. Caroline needed to get back on the road soon. Josette had been frantic on the phone. She had screamed, demanding her grandmother come to the house immediately. The sheriff was there. Josette and her family were being evicted and needed to pay back rent. Rent that Caroline thought she had already been paying. Cash in purse and flowers secured in her lap, Caroline prodded Vincent to get across town quickly. Vincent was an arrogant driver by nature. Stop signs were suggestive. Red lights were an annoyance. Pedestrians and bicyclists, well, they should just get off the road. Caroline slapped her hand on her knee, urging Vincent to go faster. So he did. He didn't slow for the red light ahead. This intersection was the first in a series of predictable traffic violations Vincent would make. Caroline had been a passenger long enough to know he would run this light and the next one too if there wasn't any traffic. Vincent started to brake, but spotting a pause in the cross traffic and feeling the urgency from his wife, he decided to speed through instead. Caroline braced herself against the dashboard as a minivan emerged into the intersection. Momentarily, she made eye contact with the young woman driving the oncoming car and saw the tops of two car seats in the back. The Chevrolet Explorer van collided with the rear driver's side door of the minivan at 42 miles per hour. Vincent's chest rammed against the steering wheel as Caroline came up out of her seat and hit her head first against the windshield and then against the rearview mirror. Neither were wearing seatbelts. Tinted glass shattered from the minivan and glistened across the hood of the Explorer like black diamonds on sand. Two small brown-haired heads thrust back and forth in their car seats. White roses and stargazer lilies exploded in a cloud of petals and stamen raining down over Caroline. The windshield of the Chevrolet cracked like a kaleidoscope. Together, the two vehicles slid across the intersection until the minivan was pinned against a light pole. Children's screams pierced the air. Perfume of midsummer lily blossoms hangs thick in the air. Children shout playfully in the distance. Caroline's new sister, Beatrice, sweeps up the remnants of a dropped champagne glass. The sounds of clattering shards of glass echoes off pink marble walls of the ladies' room. Caroline glances at herself in the mirror. Her veil is pulled back over strawberry blonde hair, styled in a fashion inspired by Marilyn Monroe's hairstyle in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. It had come out last year, and Caroline adored Marilyn's beauty. A single-strand pearl necklace from Vincent's late mother rests atop the lace pattern work trimming Caroline's golden duchesse satin gown. Her new wedding ring catches the light. The large, solitaire stone glistens. Caroline? A strange voice beckons. Caroline? Caroline, can you hear me? Caroline watches as her reflection in the mirror fades into a blur 
The voice beckons again. Caroline. Caroline. I am fine, damn it, Vincent insisted to the EMT. Caroline. Uh, Caroline, there you are, another medic encouraged as Caroline opened her eyes. Stunned from the accident, Caroline peered quizzically at the medics and police officers surrounding the scene. Are the kids okay? How's the woman? Vincent inquired, ignoring the paramedics' demands to treat he and his wife. After being informed the other vehicle's passengers were safe and only suffered minor injuries, Vincent insisted he and his wife be allowed to go home. The police officers reluctantly agreed. Caroline glanced over the scattered remnants of white roses and fragrant lilies and wondered if the flowers were hers. Why... why did I have flowers? Caroline wondered. The two spoke with the responding police officers and signed the necessary release paperwork with the paramedics. Another officer who had just arrived on scene agreed to drive Mr. and Mrs. Aubrey home while their vehicle was being towed. The short ride home was silent. Caroline stared out the car window. The voices of her children insisting they should not drive ringing in her ears. Do not, and I mean do not, tell the kids, she firmly said, maintaining her gaze out the window opposite Vin's direction. Vincent nodded silently in agreement, knowing she wasn't looking his way to see his compliance. Once at home, Caroline went directly to the bedroom, changed into a nightgown, and crawled into bed. After washing his face and assessing the head bandage, Vincent followed and lay beside her. The late afternoon faded into an early sunset, as they slept the hours away. Inspired by true stories, the Junebug Project is always looking for inspirational and informative experiences to share. You can share your story on our website, www.thejunebug.org. Caroline suddenly awoke around 11 p.m. She realized the errand she and Vincent had been en route to earlier in the day. During all the commotion, she had completely forgot why they were driving across town. Attempting to get out of bed, a sharp pain resonated down her side. She grasped her right leg as the intensity of the pain echoed throughout her body. Confused and dazed from what she knew was a probable concussion, she slid to the side of the bed and tried to stand up. She attempted to do so, but immediately fell to the ground, screaming in pain as she felt a sharp snap in her right hip. Vin, Vin, I think I broke my hip, she exclaimed in agony. Startled, Vincent rushed out of bed to her side. Taking the nightstand phone, Vin proceeded to call 911. Doing so, he could feel pressure building in his head. The pressure resonated from the top of his spine and reverberated around his brain. Hurriedly explaining the situation to the operator, Vincent began to fumble his words and became disoriented. His speech slurred. The operator recognized the symptoms. He was having a stroke. Vincent struggled to recite the necessary information to the operator before setting the phone aside on the floor and laying down beside his collapsed wife. Vincent 
wrapped his arms around her, holding her close as Caroline slid onto her side. There they lay, waiting for the paramedics to arrive. Together on the floor, holding one another, they wept. I... I am so sorry, he whispered into her ear. Caroline held his arms tighter around herself. It's okay. We will be okay, Caroline said softly. Then she paused for a moment. Vincent, I love you, Vincent. I love you too, with all my heart. In the brief loving exchange, they silently acknowledged to one another that their life had abruptly changed in the span of 12 hours. Caroline comforted her cheek against the cool grain of the wool carpeting. For a moment, gazing over the pile, she realized she may not see this room for a very long time. Have you pre-ordered your copy of the June Bug novel yet? This book takes a deeper look at the story we are exploring during season one. Caroline, Vincent, and their love story through the trials and tribulations of dementia. Pre-order your copy on our website, www.thejunebug.org. On the eastern fringes of the Willamette Valley, picturesquely nestled against the Cascade foothills, is the quaint village of Mount Angel, Oregon. The town earned its name from Swiss Benedictine monks who had settled the area in the late 1800s. Central to the quaint village is the towering St. Mary's Church of gray stone and sheer black slate roof lines. The bell tower is the highest man-made point for miles around. It is a beacon of faith and community. This hamlet had long been a favorite destination for the Aubreys. During damp Oregon springs and sun-drenched summers, they would make the 30-minute pilgrimage from Salem for Sunday Mass. Donning their best attire, they would hear sermons and recite prayers among the imposing white columns of St. Mary's. Often, following Mass, Vincent would drive them further into the countryside to the neighboring town of Silverton. There, they would dine on Eggs Benedict and Blueberry Muffins Riverside at a favorite cafe. Afterwards, humming from sugar and caffeine, Vincent would convince his wife to partake in some antique shopping and thrift store browsing. Vincent loved to find the odd deal on a piece of art or an antique motor. Reminders of his youth. Caroline would peruse the jewelry cases and china hutches, seeking a glimmering, sparkling trinket. Thoughts of these outings together flooded Caroline's mind as the medical transport van navigated the country road into Mount Angel on this rainy, cold December morning. Through the fog, she could spy the familiar wheat fields and pastures of horses as she reclined in the gurney. What day of the week it is eludes Caroline. She and Vincent had spent the past few weeks recovering from their car accident at the Salem Hospital. The preceding days had blurred together into a relentless schedule of nurse inspections and physician appointments. 
hopeful of returning home in time for Christmas, they now found themselves being moved to a rehabilitation facility. The Benedictine home is where the Aubreys are heading for an extended stage of recovery from their injuries and now rapidly declining health. The accident and ensuing hospital stay had hurried a series of health challenges for both. More visibly for Caroline, Vincent masked his struggles from the stroke from his wife, concerned more for her well-being than his. Upon arriving at the Benedictine home, Vincent was quietly pleasant and polite to the staff, usual traits of his demeanor. His wife, however, was belligerent, inconsolably furious, and demanded her lawyer be alerted immediately, a stark contrast to the demure and pleasant woman she had most often been before her hospitalization. This is wrong, Caroline screamed at the nurses as they maneuvered her wheelchair through the hallways to a distant room. What am I doing here? Who said this was okay? Her voice boomed through the linoleum-lined halls. Caroline's face flushed with blood as she continued to scream uncontrollably at every single staff person within sight. She demanded that this was a mistake and that she was to be taken home immediately. Vincent shamefully apologized profusely to any person who would listen. Vin makes attempts to comfort his wife, assuring her that this is only a temporary arrangement until they can undoubtedly return home. Privately, though, Vincent has increasingly embraced acceptance that this may be a stepping stone to their new home in a care facility. He fervently avoids this topic with his wife and pacifies her rage with solace that, yes, this is awful. We will go home soon. Late in the evening, when Caroline has finally succumbed to rest from aggressive medication, Vincent finds himself praying, not to God, but to his son, William, pleading with his lost son to help comfort Caroline and bring her peace. Prayers that will be heard only by the cold walls of the Benedictine home. The sound of retching awoke Caroline sometime around midnight. She sat up in bed and glanced across the room towards her husband's empty hospital bed. For weeks, she had demanded her bedroom set be relocated to Mount Angel, but nursing staff and doctors continued to advise otherwise. Recently, Caroline and Vincent had been moved from the rehabilitation wing into the residential wing. A one-bedroom, ground-level apartment furnished with remnants from the last occupant. A large picture window in the combination living room-dining room with views of a garden courtyard separating the wings of the facility. Both Caroline and Vincent had been growing more prone to falls from bed in the middle of the night. Bruises and scratches marred them both, visible signs of their decreasing mobility. Caroline fervently blamed this not on age, but on their relinquishment to this hellhole. She believed that had they remained at home, their surroundings would have been familiar, safe. 
Caroline would know where to reach to brace herself on the short walk to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Vincent would know if he had the energy to make it to the basement to tinker on a project in his shop. Here, though, everything was strange, unfamiliar, inhospitable. Caroline felt she was being held captive. Care decisions being made for her best interest by her children. Vincent, Caroline says into the darkness. Vincent, are you okay? The retching continues. It's that nauseatingly recognizable sound of someone dry heaving, struggling to catch their breath between unproductive convulsing. The bathroom door slowly opens as Vincent emerges, weak with exhaustion. He barely manages to lift a hand and wipe away the water from his mouth. I think I'm ill, honey, he says in a defeated tone. Ill? How? Was it, was it dinner? In the months since their car accident, Caroline's admonishment of physical therapy and Vincent's unwillingness to focus on his own health before his wife's had resulted in a vicious cycle of procrastination and prolonged residency at the Benedictine home. Caroline would forget she had refused treatment or turned away physical therapy visits. Failing to recall her refusals, she became adamant that the staff wasn't providing them treatment. It was part of a growing conspiracy, she believed, that Margaret and Joseph were cogs in a cabal, working in tandem with the staff to keep Vincent and Caroline incapable of caring for themselves. They're all trying to steal everything we have, Caroline would confide in Philip. She would call Josette relentlessly and plead for her to come rescue them. The phone calls went unanswered, though. For months now, Josie had neither called nor visited. Not one single time since the car accident. One may assume that she felt responsible or guilty. They were, after all, en route to save Josette from a disaster of her own making. The truth, sadly, was more sinister. When Josie had once more gone to an ATM with her grandmother's debit card to withdraw yet another thousand dollars for a few days' supplies, the account was depleted. Without access to cash, Josie no longer had a need for Caroline. Caroline, instead, came to believe that Margaret and Joseph were somehow controlling Josette, too. Vincent sits on Caroline's bedside, still catching his breath. Could he have been poisoned? Caroline ponders. She fumbles to get out of bed and does an amateur physical exam on her husband. His forehead was hot to the touch. A fever. His cheeks cold and damp with sweat. Fetching a washcloth from the bathroom, Caroline cooled her husband's forehead dotingly wiping away bands of water as they streamed down his temple and into his silken white hair. Between passes with the cold cloth, Caroline kissed Vincent on the nose, big wet kisses that made him chuckle, even though his stomach hurt to laugh. Vincent reached out and pulled his wife closer so that her chest fell onto his. Her face pressed into the crook of his neck. He felt her warm breath on his neck, passing over sparse body hair and the silver chain of his St. Christopher pendant. As they lay there together in the narrow mechanical bed, Vincent recalled that day in the dining room, 
the one when Caroline had admitted to the seriousness of her memory loss. That day, when she cast the coffee cup against the dining table at an invisible foe, the June bug. Vincent recalled that sinking feeling he had afterwards when he cleaned spilled coffee from the dining room carpet. It was that fear of leaving first. The dread of being the first to die. Terror at the thought of his wife being left alone. Vincent had kept his growing health concerns to himself, but now the symptoms had become worse with each passing day. He felt increasingly weak and malnourished. His appetite had steadily declined. His strength waned. Holding his wife close against his chest as she began to fall asleep, Vincent realized he may be dying. At no moment before in his life had he felt such failure. He believed his only God-given purpose was to protect his wife and to see her through to the end. He was prepared for that. Vincent was ready to care for his wife, no matter the cost. The years of dementia, her increased agitation and fury, that was all okay. He could take all of that if it meant he could protect her and watch over her up until that final breath. Once she was ushered safely from this life to the next, then and only then could he leave this life in peace, having fulfilled his duty. Until this point, dying first had seemed to be a choice Vincent gladly decided against. Now, he realized he had no control of the outcome. And that lack of control was nothing less than an absolute crushing failure. If only, if only they could see what I see, Vincent thought to himself, noting the repeated commentary from family on Caroline's intensifying anger and confusion. Family members that thought it was right to separate them. That wasn't the wife he lived with, though. Vincent had learned how to balance this alternate reality Caroline drifted in and out of. The key was to keep her in the daydreams, the memories, the alternate realities. It was the cold, hard truth of the real world that disturbed her most. Not the confusion. It was the careless way in which people scolded Caroline for the confusion. The comments like, that's not right, or you don't know what you're talking about. That was what ignited Caroline's anger and frustration. With Vincent at her side, though, Caroline could drift into old memories about their youth, fixating on which baby food she should buy or whether or not she needed to go check on her mom. Vincent would, of course, suggest Gerber pears and pineapple, which had always been William's favorite. And he'd encourage with, yes, definitely, we should go check on mom. You know, why don't you make something for us to take to her for dinner, sweetheart? When the outside world left them alone, Caroline lived in a blissful dream state, and Vincent happily coddled his wife. Are you enjoying the June Bug? Did you know that the June Bug Project is much more than this podcast? 
As we explore new stories each season, the Junebug website will work in tandem with the podcast to roll out new tutorials and services that aim at broadening our audience's education and awareness based on the narratives we are exploring. If you enjoy this project and want to see it continue, please consider becoming a benefactor or a sponsor of the Junebug Project. Your contributions will help to expand the reach of the Junebug and touch more lives. For more information, visit www.thejunebug.org support. A white petal drifts down onto the dinette table, falling from a bouquet of roses and hydrangeas Philip placed there earlier in the evening. Caroline sits at the dinette alone, wearing a pink blouse, white culottes, and a pair of worn navy blue house slippers. This seat is where she has spent much of the preceding months, sitting, waiting for someone to come take them home. Her right big toe pokes through a hole in the trim of her shoe, worn from tapping her foot relentlessly. Admiring the bouquet, Caroline wonders to herself if her roses have been watered at the house. Have they fared during the summer heat? Will they still be in bloom when she and Vincent finally return home? The seasons had dredged by over the past nine months, while Caroline diligently sat at the dinette set, abhorring the window view of the gardens at the Benedictine home. Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake Symphony plays faintly, filling the background with white noise from a small battery-operated radio someone delivered the previous week. This, this will help him feel comfortable, they had said, putting on a CD of classical music. Comfortable. Being at home would be comfortable. And classical music, Caroline thought to herself. They don't even know Vincent. Caroline likes classical music. Vincent loves jazz. Gershwin, Ellington, Davis, if Vin had to plan a soundtrack for this time in his life, it would be comprised of his favorite records, all of which are now collecting dust in their vacant home. Tchaikovsky wouldn't have even been a distant choice. Alas, there's only one CD, and this is it. Sitting at the table, Caroline notices the crab apple tree in the garden beginning to lose its leaves, and the grass has begun to turn from brown to emerald from the early September rainfall. She thinks to herself of she and Vin's shared loathing of apple trees. They were the cause of the seasonal ant infestation at the house on Kingsman. The sight of apple trees caused them both to reminisce on years of bug bombs, ant spray, and pest exterminators. She'd gladly live with the ant infestations now if it meant she could be at home. At home with Vincent. Even those pesky June bugs. She hadn't seen one of those in quite a long time, not since the car accident. So much had changed since then, not least of all, her medications had been meticulously monitored and dispensed by nursing staff for the past nine months. No more morphine. A timid knocking at the door disturbs Caroline from watching another petal fall from the bouquet. Come in, she replies in a meek tone, already aware of who will be on the opposite side of the door. A slender man in his seventies, dressed in black 
enters the room. He is tall, about 6'1". His build is slight. In his left hand, he holds a Bible, his profession clearly denoted by his white clerical collar. Hello, Mrs. Aubrey. The nurse said I should come again. Follow me. Caroline says, struggling to stand from the table. She points to her walker, gesturing the man for assistance. The priest brings the walker to Caroline as she begins to slowly make her way across the intimate apartment. She leads the priest to the bedroom. Curtains are drawn closed to keep the room dark and quiet. The only disturbance is from the radio on the dresser, still playing Tchaikovsky. Always Tchaikovsky. The air is perfumed with cedar and sandalwood from a candle burning on the window ledge. Caroline has witnessed this custom being performed over her husband before. This will mark the third occasion in as many days that he's received his last rites. She sits on the bed beside Vincent, holding his hand, gently leaning over and kissing his forehead. Vincent's brow lifts and his eyebrows raise briefly, but his eyes do not open. He does not speak. He appears unaware of the event taking place. Faint light from the living room illuminates the gaunt man, snugly draped in a taupe duvet, his head resting atop two white pillows. Brightened by the light reflecting off Caroline's pink blouse, his face looks rosy, alive, but his eyes are sunken, his lips chapped. His body is withering, becoming a delicate frame punctuated by protruding bones and thin skin. Lost in the moment of holding her husband's hand, watching his face, listening to his slowing breaths, Caroline doesn't realize the priest has finished and already left. She is alone with him again. The room has once more fallen silent. Tchaikovsky has ceased filling the void with white noise. Shallow breaths are the only sound disrupting the stillness. The lingering daylight has now faded to dark. Fearful of leaving her husband's side for even a few seconds, Caroline doesn't step away to turn on any lights. Instead, she waits patiently beside him, together facing the darkness. Hopeful, he will open his eyes and be revived from this catatonic state. Though pessimistic, he will not. Waiting in silence, Caroline reflects on the burdens she has shared with Vincent over the past decades, the guilt she saddled him with, blame she deflected onto him, wasted days, squandered months of squabbles and resentments. She holds his hand and gently strokes it. Then, she whispers softly, Vincent, I am so sorry. She waits, hoping for some sign of response. Silence. Vincent, I, I am so sorry for how difficult I've been. I never meant for it to be like this. For us to be like this. Vincent, you... You have given me everything. 
I could have ever wanted. You gave me so much love. You gave me a beautiful family. You gave my life meaning. Being with you gave me meaning, gave me purpose. I... I will never forgive myself for the moments I took you for granted. I will never forgive myself for the times I was angry with you. The time I wasted. But you... You never did any of that to me. Vincent, you have been perfect in every, every single way. Caroline looks down onto the frail hand she holds. It has grown colder than when she first took it. Leaning over her husband, she presses her warm lips against his cold, chapped lips. Letting go of his hand, she cradles his head in both of her hands, lifting it from the pillow and pressing his cheek close against her own. She presses his forehead against hers, touching the tips of their noses. Vincent, it's going to be okay. You've... You've done everything right. You've, you've done everything you could. I'm, I'll be lost without you. Life won't be anything to me. But, but we will be together again. I promise. Releasing Vincent's head softly back onto the pillows, Caroline kisses him once more. Standing up from the bed, she tries to hurry towards the dining table to retrieve her rosary. Caroline has not performed the rosary since leaving their home on Kingsman. Her faith was a relic, long relinquished to the past. But in this moment, she knows he would want her to pray with him. Vincent would want that. So, she will. Clutching the white pearl rosary in her hand, Caroline turns from the dining table to return to the bedside. The bedroom door is open. Through the darkness, she can tell. She simply knows. It's happened. And just like that, he was gone. She rushes as quickly as her frail body allows her, hoping to hold his hand hopeful she will grasp it before his spirit departs, hoping for one brief second he will know she is still there with him. Caroline falls to her knees beside the bed, grasping his right hand and sobs. I take it back. I didn't mean it. She screams. Vincent, you can't leave me. You can't go yet. For hours, alone and undisturbed, she sobbed, clutching his hand tightly, kissing his forehead, running her fingers through his silky white hair. As dawn began to break, Caroline knew their time together was coming to an end. A nurse would be arriving soon for the morning shift 
and would find him. She withdrew from the bedroom and retreated to the dining chair she had grown so accustomed to. Now it felt safe, a place she suddenly recognized as part of her identity. The dining room chair where she would sit, waiting for someone to take she and Vincent home. It made sense that she would return to this place, now awaiting her return home, alone. I don't want to be alone, Caroline spoke to the empty nothingness that engulfed her. A realization now loomed that her future was decided. A future without Vincent. A future alone. She had a prophetic acceptance for her oncoming misery. Have you pre-ordered your copy of the Junebug novel yet? This book takes a deeper look at the story we are exploring during Season 1. Caroline, Vincent, and their love story through the trials and tribulations of dementia. Pre-order your copy on our website, www.thejunebug.org. Aromas of stargazer lilies, freesia, and early autumn hydrangeas enveloped Caroline. The combination of scents beckoned memories of anniversary bouquets and warm summer evenings on the deck. Running her index finger along the length of her single-strand pearl necklace, she looked down upon the floral spray gracing the top of her husband's casket. In this space, the same space where they had been wed, the mirror she had gazed upon herself in while Beatrice swept up a shattered champagne glass just steps away. The pearl necklace she had worn on that day. Caroline felt obligated to sob publicly and without restraint, but the tears failed to arrive. Her mourning was subdued by the uncontrolled, drug-induced, emotional outbursts of her granddaughter, who was unapologetically making this pivotal moment about herself. Caroline, however, gladly relinquished the spotlight, feeling at ease in the familiar role of comforting Josie. Friends and family looked on with disgust as Josette continued her production of theatrics and self-obsession, seemingly oblivious to the immeasurable loss her grandmother had just experienced. Consoling her granddaughter, Caroline deflected the offers of sympathy and love from those gathering to pay their respects. Her immense grief was now shrouded in a cold acceptance that life was no longer worth living. As the small crowd took their positions in the pews of St. Joseph's, Caroline accepted a handshake from a priest as he directed her to proceed to the front row. Led by her son Joseph, Caroline positioned herself at the head of the congregation, a pew where she and Vincent often shared Sundays. The sound of the casket being led down the aisle resonated from the back of the church. Josette let out a loud wail as the casket passed her pew, and briefly, Caroline let her facade slip as she scowled towards the inappropriate performance. The priest 
ascended the pulpit, and Caroline quickly fled from the moment, becoming lost in thoughts about what was next. Am I going home after this? She wondered, hopeful. Will I even want to be home without him? But most importantly on her mind was, how much longer until I die? Caroline wanted the end to come quickly for herself. She was wholly done with living. She was depleted, exhausted from the pain, tired of the confusion, missing her boy William, and now incomplete without Vincent. While hymns were sung and prayers were recited at St. Joseph's that September day, Caroline quietly contemplated the ways she might end her own life. Today's episode of The June Bug was, to say the least, difficult. That's why I wanted to do something different and close with some personal commentary. I want you to know that what I've been doing here, retelling this intimate personal story, is not easy for me. Retelling these events is very emotional. Some days, like today, I can barely hold it together. I can't fathom what Caroline must have felt when Vincent passed, and I can't even begin to imagine the emotions Vincent must have felt knowing he was leaving his wife behind when she needed him most. But facing these heart-wrenching experiences with an open mind and an open heart is what the June Bug is about. Vincent and Caroline's saga has been peppered with tragedy, but there are so many gems of love and beauty throughout it. Moments when they came together and faced strife with their unabashed, undefeated love for one another. It takes strength, it takes courage, sometimes patience, most certainly compassion, but definitely, always, love. Thank you for listening. The June Bug is produced by Breedlove Creative Enterprises. Original music composed by Bo Ellis Breedlove. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can also help support this podcast and the June Bug Project by becoming a supporting member on our Patreon page, www.patreon.com backslash the June Bug. Thank you for listening. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Stay tuned for the next installment of the June Bug.